listening to First Church Charlotte. As Christians, as believers, uh, the resurrection changed everything. Can I have a big amen? Amen. The resurrection changed everything. And so uh, I am going to preach for a little while on the subject of the anointing. We're going to read one passage of Scripture, Psalms 27 and verse number 4. Let's stand together, as is our habit when we uh, begin our, our Bible studies and our sermons with the reading of the Scripture. We want to honor the Word of the Lord. Can I have a big amen on that one? Uh, without the Word of the Lord, none of this makes sense because it's just what you think and what I think, and that's the end of the matter. I'm being told that the microphone is too far from my mouth. Does that make everyone happier? I know it makes me happier. But it's not as much fun as blaming the sound people. That's actually more fun when I do that because Austin doesn't have enough struggle in his life. He needs to be abused from the pulpit. So, all right, we are in Psalms 27. We're going to read one beautiful passage, verse number four. One thing, somebody say one thing. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to do what? To behold the beauty of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. So in the heart of the psalmist is this desire to go somewhere and do something. Okay, be clear about that. Where does he want to go? The house of the Lord. And what does he want to do when he gets there? Behold the beauty of the Lord. Church is not about how good you've been. It's about how great God is. Does that make sense? I want you to see. Now, we are called and challenged to uh, live upright lives. But when you come into this house, it cannot be about how good you did this week or you won't come to this house. When you come to this house, it has to be about how great he is. Because if you only perceive how good you think you've done, I mean, half the time we didn't do good and we don't even know. Because we don't know how to judge our own heart. Uh, We may have done something good for a flawed reason. So when you come into this house, you're in the right place, but now you need to do the right thing. You need to behold the beauty of the Lord. So let me say this to you. Your God's been so good to you, you ought to think about it. His mercy endures forever. You ought to think about that. Of his kingdom, there shall be no end. You ought to think about that. He loved you enough to get involved in your messy life. You ought to think about that. And having done so... It should be the most natural thing in the world for your eyes to turn toward the beauty of God, your heart to open to the presence of God. And you say within yourself, I'm in the right place. Now I want to do the right thing. I am going to make this service about my Savior. I'm going to make this moment about glorying his name. Let's do that right now, church. Would you help me all across the house? Lord Jesus, we exalt you. We bless you. We honor you. You have been so good to us. We cannot tell it all. We cannot express the greatness of your mercy and the kindness of your love. We worship you today. We glorify your name. We bless you today. Amen. Before you're seated, give the Lord one more hand clap of praise.
Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Real quick, just be reminded that there are flyers that are Easter invitations outside. We don't want to have any of them left after this week, so please take as many as you think uh, you can you can hand out or place in uh, mailboxes or on bolster boards, whatever you can do. We want the community to know that our, our house is open to them. And so that's one thing. The second thing I want to do real quick is I want to give honor to the young people, the young adults, and uh, a couple not so young adults who went through our mentoring program this this past semester. Uh, these young people each were challenged uh, several times in training. Uh, they each of them were assigned one hard thing for them to do, uh, and they each were, and all of them collectively were given this serve day as a project. And they have done a wonderful job. We love our young adults here at First Church. I also want to give credit to the Udemarks who did, did a fabulous job uh, leading them and training them and spending time with them and organizing that. And um, I probably should have had uh, Chad preach this morning, but you know how it is. He was too busy and he always says no. So that's what happens when you're a mighty celebrity uh, traveling evangelist going around the world. So uh, no, uh, just having fun. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. So I want to preach for a little while about the anointing of God in our lives. And I want to, it is in my heart today to awaken within you a passion for his presence in your life. I know we say that, but sometimes we say that as a kind of a church thing we do. And we are guilty of compartmentalizing uh, the ordinariness of our life and then the presence of God in our life. We are at times guilty of having good church and then rushing back to our lives. Now, I'm not rebuking you. I just want you to be honest. Let's, before we go somewhere together in Scripture, let's, let's practice confession. Uh, if we're not careful, it's easy for us to compartmentalize God. Uh, we have our prayer time during the day and then we have the rest of the day. That's really not what it means to walk with him, and that's not really what it means to talk with him. Uh, you were created for fellowship. Can I have an amen from this section right here? They see all this side help this section right here? Uh, that's what I need to do. I need to start saying just this side, and then all the rebellious people in the other side will be, oh, don't you take away my amen. You will not take away my amen. Um, if we're not careful, we compartmentalize God, and the result of that is if we're listening to the right channel on uh, Spotify, then we kind of have a good little worship moment. If you're listening to the wrong channel, then you kind of shake your ear end a little bit. God forgive you. It shouldn't be shaken. <laughs> uh, we compartmentalize. <laughs> Where did that come from? That was so random. I'm sorry. Um, I want you to see how there is a, there is a temptation for us. Well, I'm at work right now, or I'm mowing my yard. Or I have a meeting and we compartmentalize our life. But when Sunday comes and, you know, if things work out and there's none of our favorite teams are playing, uh, see, I'm having fun today. I can't help myself. Then, you know, we come to the house of the Lord. We get ourselves sorted out. We get our mind in gear. And then we step into his presence. 
And I want to challenge all of us here today that uh, we cannot really compartmentalize the presence of God in our life and really know him the way that the scripture invites us to know him. Uh, I want you to see how, how the presence of God is more than just a feeling you get on high holy days. It's, it's more than a, a sense of worship or praise that you would feel when you listen to the right music um, in your home or in your car. You are invited not simply to worship God, but you are invited to be the place of his abode. Just let that settle in your consciousness there for a moment. <laughs> you are invited to be the place where the Lord takes residence. You are invited to live in such a way that God is not something you do, but he lives in your life. This is what I'm trying to establish as a goal here in this service today. I want to I take you back to uh, the tabernacle of Moses and imagine that we, uh, with all of our modern minds and whatnot, we were granted a chance to jump the, the, the generations and jump the, the centuries and walk into this tent of meeting and experience it. If that, if that were to be allowed to us, if we were able to go back in time and walk into this, this tent of meeting, uh, we, would, we would be perhaps surprised by all the things we thought we knew what to expect, and it was different than what we expect. One of the first things is just how strong everything would smell of anointing oil. Uh, if I direct your attention to Exodus chapter number 30, I would read from this scripture here, uh, verse number 26, and you would, uh, you would see this in the scripture. Actually, let me, let me read it, verse number 25. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. In other words, this isn't a casual recipe. This is very intentional, and this is very high quality. Make this holy anointing oil, and with it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of testimony. The tent was what they constructed to house uh, the sacred things of their worship uh, that they, whereby they, they offered sacrifice to the Lord. And they moved this tabernacle with them. And it literally was a tent uh, made of the skins of badgers and uh, dyed red. And it was taken with them and set up wherever they were. And the reason why they did this is because they designated a place as God's place, God's point where he belongs with us. And it was called, and I love this name, it was called a tent of meeting. In other words, there's no purpose for the tent if we're not going to meet with God. It is not just a tent. It is the tent of meeting. It's like saying we don't just have a church building. Uh, we come to church to stand in the presence of God and to exalt God. It's not enough just to think in terms of building. This is the house of God. And so this tent of meeting uh, becomes the place where 
the priesthood represents the people before God, and they come into the Shekinah glory of God. Not all of them. Some come closer than others. And finally, in the innermost sanctum of God's presence, you would see only the high priest uh, taking uh, uh, the blood of covering to the mercy seat uh, that would allow the sins of the people to be covered for a year. And so, in this tabernacle we walk, into this tent of meeting we walk in, uh, it smells so strong of anointing oil. Why does it smell so strong of anointing oil? Well, first of all, uh, they anointed the tent itself. Then they anointed the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and then they anointed the table and all. Somebody say all. All of its utensils. And then they anointed the lampstand. And then they anointed all of the utensils of the lampstand. And then they anointed the altar of incense. And they anointed the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils and its basin and its stand. And they were anointed and they were consecrated. Uh, and the writer says, whoever, whatever touches them shall become holy. In other words, used unto the Lord in the service of the Lord. You are not just going to anoint the tabernacle itself. You're not just going to anoint all the sacred furniture of the tabernacle. You're going to anoint the priest. You shall anoint, verse 30, Aaron. You shall anoint his sons. You shall consecrate them. They shall serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. What are you doing? What are you doing in this, this tent of meeting? Well, we are anointing everything in the house. Now, why is this interesting? Uh, because in the New Testament, the oil of anointing is signifying the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that we have been given by God's mercy and by God's grace. Today, when we talk about anointing, we are talking about the presence of God. We are talking about the nearness of the Holy Spirit. That is what we're talking about when we talk about the oil of anointing. Uh, it is represented. Let me show you a couple, and uh, there's a lot of these verses where this association is made. Let me just give you uh, two very quickly. Uh, the first one is Luke 4 and 18 where Jesus stands up in the synagogue, and he says this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Notice the Spirit of the Lord is now going to be associated with the anointing of spiritual purpose and spiritual direction. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He has mission. He has purpose. He is anointed. What is he anointed by? The Spirit of the Lord. It's the will of God that every one of us be anointed by the Spirit of the Lord. We are not just invited as God's people to enjoy him as a 
part of our lives. We are invited to be filled with his presence. I want you to see the point of everything that happened throughout the Old Testament, the giving of the law, uh, the kings, the priests, the prophets, the point of it all is culminated in Jesus Christ. And he is going to fix what sin had broken in the Garden of Eden. Jesus Christ is going to bear in his body the judgment of our sins. And I can be holy, not because I'm holy, but because Jesus has covered me in his righteousness. Come on, somebody. I can have hope, not because I'm worthy of hope, but because Jesus Christ has given his righteousness in trade for my sin. I want you to see the whole point of everything is culminated when his spirit returns after the resurrection, falls on the people in the upper room, and they become the temple of the Holy Ghost. I want you to see what you're being invited toward. I want you to see the opportunity that you have. This presence of God in your life is not just the emotion of a good religious song. You are being invited to walk with him in fellowship. This is what the anointing is in our life. It is truly the presence of God with us. I want to say to all of you today, I crave the presence of God in my life. I crave the presence of God in our services. I don't want to ever just have a good fellowship with a little bit of singing and a little bit of preaching. I want the presence of God to be among us. I want to show you this, the advantage of the presence of God in your life. But I want to point out this to you. The images that are shown in the life of Jesus Christ are always showing you this idea of him not having a place to live. He's born in Bethlehem, and what happens in Bethlehem? There's no room in the inn. I want you to see that as an image. It's not an accident. God chose that circumstance to teach each one of us something about our spiritual opportunity, what is being given to us. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and there is no room in the inn. The Bible says he came to his own, and his own what? Received him not. He had no place. He became the outsider. He became the rejected one. He became the one who was turned away from the uh, the, the house of welcome. He came to his own. His own received him not. Further, Jesus says to those who come to him, he said, look, now uh, the birds of the air have nests, and the, the foxes of the field, they have dens, or they have holes, they have places to live, but the Son of Man, hear him say this, the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. I, I want you to see the imagery that's given to you consistently. He is an itinerant preacher. That means he has no regular place to preach. I preach at First Church. I am not an itinerant preacher, but I was an itinerant preacher for almost 10 years. I had no regular place where I preached. I had no uh, pastoral home. I had no place that I was there. This is the ministry of Jesus Christ, and he shows it to you. He is rejected. He is pushed away. There's no room for him. There is no tribe that will accept him. He has no place to live, but it's all going to change. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
It's all going to change when the promise, which was seen by those, but not given to them who are afar off. They saw it from afar, the author of the book of Hebrews said. It was, it was shown to them through promise, but they had not received it. But I want all of you to know you have been given the opportunity for God to take up residence in your heart. You are invited not just to experience the presence of God, but you are invited to host the presence of God. You see, he is looking for a place to dwell. Remember Solomon at the dedication of the first temple. He is there and he is praying publicly and there's 120 priests that are with him prepared to minister in the house. And Solomon, in an astonishingly vulnerable prayer, he asked this of the Lord. The story's told in Chronicles. He says, will thou abide with me? And you'll tell him I say hello whenever, whenever, they, whenever you get him there. <laughs> he says, will you abide with men? And the answer comes in the form of fire that falls in the first, uh, the first temple that is built. Fire falls from heaven uh, and the 120 priests cannot minister because the power of God is so strong in that first temple. What is happening in the nine day prayer meeting? Nine days is a long prayer meeting. If you don't believe that, you should call one and see how many of your friends show up. Um, nine days is a, is, a, is a long prayer meeting. They have a nine-day prayer meeting. And they're seeking after God and they're waiting for what? To be endued with power from on high. They're seeking, they're praying, they're believing. And after nine days, the Holy Ghost falls. Uh, and they are given a sign that the Lord has done what? Taken up residence within their heart. Hear me. You are not simply invited to experience God in good church. You're not just invited to an emotion of a type of spiritual experience. You are invited invited to be the tent of meeting. Your soul is invited to be the host to the great God of your salvation. He doesn't want to just touch you. He wants to move in. He doesn't want to just breeze by you. He wants to move into your life. Hear me today. The point of the Old Testament, the point of the birth, the point of the life, the point of the death, the point of the resurrection is that your heart might become his home forever. And so... Let me say it again. I crave the presence of God in my life. I want to speak for this church and say as a church, we crave the presence of God. You know why I ask you to focus when you come into this house on Sunday morning? You know why I ask you to do that? I ask our leaders. I say, I know you hear me twice, but I want you to focus in both services. Why? Because the kind of church we have must be part of our testimony to the world that we crave the presence of God in our life. We don't want just to touch. We don't want just to chill, but we want the presence of God in our life. Am I preaching to the right church here today? I am hungry to walk with him and talk with him. When Adam and Eve fall in the Garden of Eden and they hide from God, God knows that they have sinned, but when he shows up, he's still looking for fellowship. Adam, where are you? Adam knows he sinned. Adam knows this nakedness. He's aware of his unworthiness. But God doesn't show up with the words of judgment. He shows up with a call for fellowship. Could it be possible that God wants your life to be the tent of meeting where 
where I am not simply uh, in some way compartmentalizing God, but I am walking with him. I am seeking him in my life. I am hungry to know he is with me. How are you going to do that? I think one of the best ways we can see is in the life of David. Uh, King David was far from a perfect man, and yet there was something in his heart that God loved. There was something in his heart that God was attracted to. And David is in this manner living an imperfect life, and God is still saying, that is a man after my own heart. You see, I want you to see this in David's scripture we read together. He comes into the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord. You see, you want to kill worship and praise, make church about you. And you won't have any joy. You won't have any hope. You know what you'll think? You'll think of something you should have done better. You'll think of something you should have tried harder at. You'll think of something you showed up for and you shouldn't have and something you didn't show up for and you should have. You will strip away your hope and your joy and you will stand in your own sense of incompleteness. That's not how we come to church. Let me tell you how we come to church. I came here today to be done thinking about me for a while. I thought about me all week long and I'm about sick of me. I'm here to talk about how good my God is. And I'm here to think about how righteous he is. I'm not very righteous. I'm tired of that. I want to talk about how good my God is. I want to behold his beauty. I want to perceive his anointing. So real quick, I want to give you a few scriptures here to show you this, this, this image of the presence of God in our life. Uh, let me, before I do that, before I, before I uh, give you uh, those, those scriptures from the Old Testament, I want to uh, finish up some of the images in the New Testament where, where Jesus, as I read, he stood before the people and he said, the Lord has anointed me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am anointed. Acts 10 and 38, uh, the preacher says this of Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed, somebody say anointed, anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. I want you to see this association between the anointing and the presence of God because that is the goal we are living with. What is the anointing and how is it expressed in our life? How is the presence of God expressed in our life? I've been thinking a lot about the idea of divine favor because I believe very strongly in divine favor and I believe favor isn't fair. God is just, but he has favorites. You say, that's not just. How would you know? Favor isn't fair. Uh, The Lord gives everyone as they deserve, but some people seem to in some way find a sense of favor on their life. And favor is more complicated than just the blessings of God. In fact, if you think primarily in terms of what God gives you, I think you you begin to miss the point of what divine favor is. You see, uh, the first thing you have to realize is God possesses all things. So when you understand favor, you don't want a thing, you want God. And when you get God, you get the thing for free. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And this is why it's an insult for you to pray God to give you a thing you think will make you happy rather than asking for more of him. 
Because anything you possess outside of him will compete with him. Anyway, I've been doing a lot of study on this. I'm actually trying to uh, work on a, a, a book idea on this whole divine favor. But favor is more complicated than simply, uh, than simply God's blessing on your life. There is favor that comes from other people in your life. The Lord can give you favor in a career. The Lord can give you favor in a family situation. The Lord can give you favor in a neighborhood. In fact, I pray uh, almost every day. I figure there might be a few days that I, I miss it. But I pray for favor for this church in this community. I pray God show us how to have divine favor upon us. Show us how to have the favor of our community upon us. And I think the Lord is opening those doors for us even now. But favor very much becomes a sense of God's presence in our life. It's not that we need more money. It's that when we have more of God, we get more of what God has. It's not that we need more health. It's that when we have more of God, we get more of what God has. And so uh, I want you to see this in the life of Abraham. Abraham has served the Lord. He has turned away from the comfortable. He has chosen the difficult path. And I think there is a spiritual lesson in that by itself. But in Genesis 21, one of his friends says this to him. A man by the name of Abimelech, which is a beautiful name. If any of you young parents are looking for names for children, you should consider Abimelech. Because just imagine how well that would sound. Abimelech, you better stop right now or I'm going to tell your mother. And they, of course, won't listen. They're like, what are you going to do? Name me Abimelech? Anyway, Abimelech uh, spake this. He said this to Abraham. He said this to him. And this is in chapter 21, verse 22. The Lord is with you and everything you do. That just has to drive people nuts. It just seems like, I, I've been watching you, Abraham, and it just seems like God's presence is with you. Oh, I crave the presence of God. I crave the presence of God for this church. I crave the presence of God for my life. I am so hungry for it. It just seems, the Abimelech says, it just seems that everything you do, God is with you. Uh, smile at your neighbor and say, it just seems like everything you do. God is with you. There is no higher testimony for anybody here in this church today. Come on, church, hear me. There is no higher testimony for anybody in this church here today. Oh, people can talk good about me or bad about me, but let them say it just seems like God is with him. People can love me or hate me, but let them say at the end of the day, it just seems like God is with them. People can be for me or against me, but let them at the end of the day say, man, it just seems like God is with him. You know how we get that? It's like Abraham, the presence of God is with us. Our life becomes the tent of meeting where we commune with God. Uh, a second image in the scripture I love is Joshua, chapter number one, verse number five. Joshua is preparing for his calling. He's preparing to lead the children of Israel uh, into the promised land. Uh, and the Lord speaks to him, and the Lord says this to him, uh, there shall not uh, there, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. Old church. 
I want God's presence to be with us. I want God's presence. You see, it is not simply, it is not simply about what you accomplish or you don't accomplish. That's God's business. What you do is you have God as the leader or as the director. You surrender to God and his plan and God and his will. And because his presence is with you, you can be strong and of good courage. It's after the promise of presence that he is told, commanded to be strong and of good courage. You'll see the same thing in the life of of Gideon. Uh, Gideon is hiding from the enemy when the angel of the Lord speaks to him. And the angel of the Lord says this to him, almighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, who are you talking to? You know, you're not talking to me. I mean, I'm, I'm hiding over here, and you're saying, oh, mighty man of God. Let me just say, God doesn't just ask you to have faith in him. God has faith in you. God sees a version of you what's much stronger than the version we have accepted. And when heaven looks at you, it's like, oh, come on now. Let's get over that. Let's move on. Let, let that go. Let the people move on. Let, let, come on now. Oh, mighty man of valor. And we're like, <laughs> it's like Bill Cosby with his monster music. I'm dating myself, I know. <laughs> I'm scared. And the angel's like, come on, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, and this is what the angel says, go and this thy might, thou shalt save Israel. When God's with you, you need to change your attitude from one of fear and timidity to one of spiritual hope and calling. Jeremiah, he is being rejected by all the house of Israel. Uh, They have come up with their interpretation of right uh, right living through their use of the law. And Jeremiah comes speaking to them. The problem isn't that they're not religious. They're plenty religious. The point is, is they've missed the justice of the law. They have taken the rules, and or they've made the rules, but they have missed the justice of the law. And here is Jeremiah saying, look, you guys have to repent. You're not doing right. This is, this is pretend religion. This isn't the, this isn't the heart of God. Uh, this is just what you've made it. And they won't receive it. And so they, they're going to threaten his life. They're going to throw him into the bottom of a, a well where he will sink up to his neck in mire and in mud, and they will leave him there for days. How is he going to have the strength in the midst of this? This is what God says to him. They shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee. In other words, Jeremiah, everyone's going to turn against you, but it won't matter because I am with you. Oh, church, this is such a high bar. This is such a high calling in Christ Jesus. It is one of the most painful things in our life is when people who we respect and we love, they choose to turn against us in some way. And whether or not they feel like they have good reasons or not, uh, chances are it is extremely painful for you to live through this. And you wonder, what you know, I, 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 I'm, not, I, I'm just 
trying to do what's right. I'm just trying to walk. I'm just, I'm just trying to give you what the Lord has given me. And your answer is to try to kill me. And God says, it won't matter if I'm with you. To all of you believers, once you become the house that hosts the presence of God, once you become the place where the presence of the Lord dwells, once your life is filled with the Shekinah glory, you won't need to live for the approval of everyone else. You will be able to say, is God with me? Because if God is with me, there's no reason to be afraid. And lastly, this is the same promise given to Isaiah. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. This is Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 5. Fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, anyone ever felt like they're walking through the fire? When you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You're going to be fireproof, honey. Why are you fireproof? Because you're already on fire. Fire doesn't touch what is already burning. My heart wants to be the meeting tent for the presence of God. I want the anointing in my life. I feel like those days of old in Exodus chapter number 30. I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. Let me tell you how I feel. I don't want to just have a little bit of anointing. I know churches, you know, to be appropriate, to be appropriate, we have these little old bottles. This is a little old, little old bottle. Um, But in the Bible, you know what they use? They use gallon and a half containers. Really, you can read it, Exodus chapter number 30. When they anointed with oil. Now, don't be getting any ideas, Brother Ed. Um, they anointed with oil. They got a gallon and a half container. I should have brought a gallon and a half container up in here today and asked for volunteers. We had preachers with pies in their face yesterday. We might as well have people covered in the anointing here today. And you know what they did? My goodness, my goodness. I might even get to preaching here for a little while. You know what they did with a gallon and a half container? They gave all the priests gallon and a half containers. And you know what? They're full of this special anointing oil that has been carefully prepared as though a perfumer had prepared it. And they've got these priests going around with these gallon and a half. It's like a, forgive me, but Paul's the one who made an association. This is like, this is like a, 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 a keg of beer they've got. That's a, what, what do they call those big old things? You buy them by the... What are they? <laughs> a pitcher. A pitcher of beer. You know, you go to these places, they say, half off pitcher of beer. My wife's always like, Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I got her mixed up with someone else. Anyway, enough about Sister Tina. Anyway, they've got this, they got this pitcher of beer. I mean, sorry, they've got a gallon and a half pitcher of anointing oil. Let me show you how we do it. Oh, I'm gonna have some fun here. This is how we do it. We're like, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And one for you. And one for you. And one for you. 
praise Jesus. This is such a disappointment. Where's a keg of beer when you need one? Not, that's not going to work. You know what they did in that temple? Or that, that tent of meeting? They took a gallon and a half pitcher of oil. And they gave it to the priests. And they went to everything. And they said, We should anoint this. Glug, 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 glug. Oh, we should anoint this too. Glug, 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 glug. They anoint everything. I want you to see the passion for the presence of God. You and I, you and, you and I, I want to do here at First Church, I want to anoint everything. I want to anoint the platform. I want to anoint the prayer room. I want to anoint every aisle. I want to anoint the altar. I want to anoint the drum cage. We know the drums need anointed. That's where all the sinners are right there. They need anointed right there. And everybody knows the guitar player needs to be anointed because they're half backslid. You know, guitars are the devil's instrument. They, they, they need to be anointed back here. Bass players, oh, Lord Jesus. You see that picture of Carlos? Oh, my Lord. Uh, they need to get anointed back here. And everybody knows James needs to be anointed. My God, he's got this devil computer up here. A cult right there, an apple cult. We all need some anointing in our life. I'm hungry for the anointing of God. I want it from the first song to the last prayer. I want it on Monday. I want it on Tuesday. I want it on Wednesday. Praise God, somebody. All right. So I'm going to have my pastoral team come take these pitiful little dinky bottles. Just pitiful. God forgive us. And I want them to come right down the front. And everybody in this house who wants to be anointed with oil in this house, I want you to come up here. I want you to let one of these men and lady and anybody else who wants to help us do this, uh, I want you to be anointed in Jesus' name. And when you come, I want you to say, as they anoint you, I'm hungry for the presence of God in my life. Can we do that right now? Let's stand all across the house. If, if our friends and guests, I know there's a little outside, if you, if, if you want to observe. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.